Welcome to No Challenges Remaining from day nine of the Australian Open. This thing is just ticking away. I'm Ben Rothenberg, joined again by Courtney Nguyen. Hi, Courtney. Hello, Ben. Done a couple episodes without you, which is always, you Sorry. know, just leaves a gaping hole in my heart. Courtney's been sick. Courtney's been sick, but you're back healthy now. Ish. Ish. Enough. And it's always ish at this point of a slam. And pun intended, I guess, on ish. I don't know. How are you, how, overall, how are you feeling about this slam? Because I personally am, like, really into it. Yeah, it's interesting because, I mean, obviously, you know, 80 to 85 percent of my time and energy is devoted to the women's side. And a lot of the discussion that I keep hearing is kind of like the common refrain I hear from other people is like it hasn't felt like a slam. That, And I think that I can understand where that comes from insofar as, you know, to the extent that we've had uh, fairly significant upsets, they have been very quick matches. You know, Halep going out, Redvanska going out, Kerber going out. On the women's out. side, yes. On the women's yeah. side, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm saying just on the sure. women's side. Um, and so, you know, we haven't had those big, compelling, you know, matches uh, that maybe we are used to having in the first week. I mean, the, the best match that, that I think that I've seen all throughout the fortnight for the women was um, uh, Pliskova and Ostapenko. Oh, yeah. Because it was super dramatic and interesting and t- lots of stuff going on there. Um, but otherwise, you know, it's kind of clicked by it. And I do think that some of that does have to do with, you know, I think at this slam we feel, or at least I feel, you know, the loss of a Nivanovic, a Nazarenka, a Sharapova, uh, a Kvitova. You know, those are four players who, if they're in the draw, even if it's the first week and they have like a nothing, you know, qualifier first round draw, it's still like a match that you circle and you're going to like pay attention to. Mm-hmm. And as they progress through the draw, you'll continue to do so. And so you take like those kind of like four names out of it and it's just going to feel a bit lighter. It's going to feel a little bit like there's less. Hmm. Um, I don't know. It, it's been odd. I haven't that's really. Interesting, cause that's like, that's not my take. It. It. That's not my take at but all. But I know, but, but I will say this because 85% of my time and energy is devoted on the women's side. Yeah. I know that the men's side tertiarily, yeah. uh, you know, is going bonkers and nuts. And so I think that yeah. if you're engaged in the slam with a 50, 50 view, you have a bit, or even an 80, 20 view the other way, you definitely have a different perspective than mine, which is why, like, I feel like I'm not the best. Right, you're not, not the most reliable narrator on this. <laughs> yeah. but but no, I think, I think I'm reliable. I'm, 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 I'm no, because I'm saying what my yeah. no, no I'm, I'm saying I'm saying I'm adding caveats. I'm self aware enough right. to say That's true. this is why I think that it's you know I'm I'm not my okay. my opinion on things is not maybe the, the most the general, the most middle of the road, I guess, or you know what I I I know what you mean. So I agree that most of the joy that I've gotten from this slam has been on the men's side, which is never the case, like, through... Especially not after week one. First of all, almost never, period. And then second of all, in my time writing about the sport, and then second of all, never through the first early rounds, because it has been... And I remember saying it after Djokovic went out to Istamin, that wouldn't it be cool if Murray went out too? And it's just we had this, like, open slam. Because like, sure. if Murray had stayed in, it would have been, like, still just Murray's march to the title... Uh, it was sort of a coin flip between who people thought would win this tournament between the two of them, and it's really opened things up. I mean, it's unbelievable to me how, with the exception of Misha Zverev, and Songa I wasn't taking seriously to win this title. Goffin, I would probably say Goffin. Yeah, I but Goffin, I would put to the side, too. He's definitely, like, next lowest on the totem pole. But it's just, like, all these scenarios, that leaves the other five, which is Federer, 
we're recording this as Federer's playing Misha Zverev. He's rolling. We assume nothing's going to go weird in that match. Federer, Vavrinka, Nadal, Ronich, and Dimitrov are all in this with like a real shot. And it's just cool getting to like play with things like knowing that Dimitrov has a really good head head against Ronich and that could come into play. You never get to do this stuff with the guys because you know what it all is. It's all eagles versus pigeons. It's not not compelling or it, or it's like just sort of a coin flip, you know, you know, copy paste match you've seen literally 25 times before. So it's pretty cool. It's pretty different. And I will, and, and, yeah. and I will add too. I mean, it, it is funny to kind of just sit here and watch Ben like look like physically excited about this because it's like the same thing of that like sitting. Weird, there. But yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry, <laughs> I didn't mean physically. Didn't like, mean vis- like you're just visibly facially. Yeah, yes. you're visibly excited about Jesus it. Jesus Christ. Um, I don't know, but uh, <laughs> I don't know your life. Um, I'm staring at the ceiling, man. Um, but <laughs> I just think that, like, you know, again, the, what is happening with the men's side, because I agree with you. I mean, I, I obviously do pay attention, and I do, I'm do. i asked to commentate and provide opinion on the men's game. And yeah. I was on um, the BBC this morning, and we were talking about the men's draw. And it was just kind of interesting because, yeah, it's this, this idea of, like, there's a, a group of five that you can make a compelling argument for. depends on the permutations of how the draw breaks out as to who you then see as a heavy favorite in the final or a favorite at all. And, you know, and again, there, there's part of the wta or in me of, like, yeah, this is every week, you guys. I like, exactly you know, because that. that's, you know, like, right, even right now as we sit with the, the women, you know, we have one semifinal set, All-American with Coco and, and Venus, and then you have the other four on the other side. Again, as much as everybody's, I mean, Serena is the favorite, obviously, to take the title. You can see a situation where Kanta could win. And then you go, okay, Kanta, Pliskova, then, you know, and it's just a lot going on that, you know, but we're so used to it that I don't get, like, you guys, this is so exciting. It's like, this is pretty standard. But this is where what what you said at the beginning didn't resonate with my experience with the women's tournament even because I have loved this women's field equally to the men. And the men is just a rare treat. I set such a low bar for what I think (laughs) they're going to do in terms of compelling tennis but the women's draw is equally the same like before the quarter so we're recording this on tuesday which was quarterfinal matches that weren't very close uh venus beating plus uh no it was decently close it was two tight sets venus beating pavlyuchenkova and then coco vandaway just storming through this tournament after beating kerber stomping muguruza and you just have everyone is in play with the exception of lucic baroni who i would be surprised if she made it the final i don't see that happening i don't see her beating plus oh, yeah, I, I certainly don't see don't her see, making the semis i certainly don't yeah. see her winning one more match um, the other three on the bottom half in Pliskova, Serena, and Kanta are three big players we talked about in this tournament. The draw is uneven for sure. I would be very, I would be surprised if it was a top half champion. Mm. Uh, I think those three women on the bottom are stronger. But there's, that just makes sets it up because like Serena's gonna have to play three tough matches. To, the last one's the Grand Slam Finals, but it has to be tough uh, to win this title. Same with Kanta. Pliskova would have to play two tough matches, presumably, not counting Lucic, who's been great. Amazing. And so she's been this total wild card, and she's a great, great story. Story of the tournament. I mean, I was talking to, I was just, again, also on BBC Radio. Shout out to BBC Radio, by the way. Um, <laughs> Big with, supporters. With, with Andrea Lavochkova, and I said the same thing that I've said to you about Lucic Peroni, who I wrote about today for The Times. It's like, and she, and I just, this part got taken out of the story a little bit, but she just seems like an adult. It's unbelievable. And, and Vashka agreed immediately. She was like, yes, that's the best way to describe her. She's a grown-up. She's a grown-up. And she has this, and I was talking to Chris Clary of the Times who covered her in 1997. He's, uh, or 97, I guess, when she played her first slam match at US Open. And he said she was similar back then. Actually, she was like a very self-possessed teenager. And obviously her life experiences, the abusive father, the financial troubles, all these things they've all documented, uh, make you mature faster. And she sort of got off the ride of the carousel 
which can sort of suspend, I think, people's development and leave them with childlike tendencies into their 30s sometimes with various players. And she just doesn't have that. So she's a great story, probably the best story in the last eight of either draw. I don't expect her to win more. But it's been cool. So that those kind of stories, like, we had a couple, like, long-term projects just behind Inside Baseball from a print perspective. We had a couple long-term, like, stories we were ready to roll out late this week. And we were like, you know what? The results are so good here. We don't need these stories now. Like, we can just go off the results because results are that good. You don't have to manufacture mm. stories. Things are coming naturally. And you said before the tournament that you thought it was going to be really good. I remember you were, like the op- you were pessimistic last year yeah. about it, and you were right. No. And this time you were optimistic. And, and I am just, like, I think it's it's it could go wrong uh, in some ways. I think the only way it really goes wrong for me is if Ravrinka win, just because we've had that recently, and, and he's won one a year. Him winning here wouldn't change anything for me. It would be kind of dull. But otherwise, any other result, I'm like, wow, that was awesome for yeah, tennis. Yeah, I mean, and I do. I want to. I want to clarify. I'm not saying that it's been a snoozer. I'm just saying that, like, at least from the women's side of things, it just hasn't felt that different than the rhythm of what I would normally see at a big WT tournament. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, and that's that's the difference because, as Ben knows, like. And as is the rhythm that that typically happens in my coverage of the of the tour, you know, you're the busiest when unexpected things are happening, and when yeah. expected things are happening, it's actually pre- quite calm because you've pre planned for that, you've under you understand whatever. And so with the women, it's not as though you know the final slate of players is is unexpected completely. I mean, Lucic, Brony, and Coco, and and arguably Venus, although she had a great draw. So, like uh, you know, arguably those are unpredict- uh, unpredictable uh, results. But on the whole, the strong players that were looking like title contenders kind of pretty much took yeah. care of business. And we just haven't had a lot of, like, high-profile matches matches that went down to the wire other than Pliskova getting I was, tested. I, was, I completely agree. With that, and that you looking at it from a more granular WTA perspective, yeah, that's yeah. totally right. Like, the only epic classic match the WTA has had was that Ostapenko-Pliskova, which was epic in spades and was enough to feed a it whole family. It was lovely. And, and Svetlana and, and JJ, but you kind of yeah, felt like true. that match, obviously, which was the longest match of the women's tournament, you felt like it wasn't actually going to impact anything. And that's the problem. The stakes right. of JJ Sveta felt low, even if the tennis yeah. was dramatic and it's two veterans and they're being <laughs> themselves and it was a perfect cauldron of just deliciousness. But like with Pliskova Ostapenko, that was a that was a match. A, a that tournament could've, favorite. On a the ropes. tournament favorite on the ropes against a youngster who was on the verge of a breakout win and possibly a breakout run, nineteen years old Yelena Ostapenko. That that match had you know, that was one of those sliding doors yeah. type matches. So that that's why that one was imbued with a little bit. I just I was living and breathing with that because I was just like, yeah. how do I? What am I going to do with this? Um, but 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 all that is to say, again, if you listen to the podcast, you know this. Ben and I have always said, and it's always until this tournament been true. Week one belongs to the girls. Week two belongs to the guys because typically the guys don't have the big upsets and the top fours get through and they play epic semis yeah. and eight hour finals and all that stuff that people love. But um, it, this tournament, it, it has it's been disorienting because it is all rolling towards something that you can see is going to be interesting. Oh yeah, on both sides of the aisle. There's no. But as of right now, I mean, you know, Vavrinka rolled past Sanga, and the only exciting thing is that they yelled at each other for a little mm-hmm. bit on a changeover. And even that, they were over afterwards. Yeah, so like, you know, uh. the night match here on Labor. I mean, Federer is probably done by now. I mean, it, <laughs> you know. It, it, you know, and so the compelling 
yeah. matches just haven't really come off. Although obviously the men have had them. There were with, two, the two yeah. big upsets, and those yeah. are both massively compelling. And not just the upsets. I mean, Rafa getting Pasverev. Yeah, that Rafa, was a great was match. Great match. Um, you know, Rafa, um, uh, Nisha Corey Federer was really Nisha good. Nisha Corey Federer was interesting, and and obviously, and so outside of those, yeah. then on top of that. You obviously have Istaman and Zverev doing what they did against the top two seeds. Yeah, so all of that's been really good. We'll take an intermission in the show. I have an interview I did with Mike Cation. Yay, Mike! Um, who is a, a third time being on the show, so long-time listeners or even medium-time listeners of the show will know him. We had him on once when we did an episode from the Challenger Tour in Charlottesville. And we had him on at Wimbledon last year talking about Marcus Willis, who made a run out of obscurity and had a viral video moment uh, with under Mike's watch. Mike is the commentator for the USDA Pro Circuit uh, tournaments, the challengers, ATP challengers on the men's side. And he travels around in a converted like rock tour bus and sleeps on a bus and commentates on these matches and is an incredible workhorse. And here he got, I don't want to call it a wild card because it was very earned, but he got to step up to the big time uh, calling the first eight days of the tournament for the Australian Open's world feed. And hearing his uh, like excitement and joy, it just was like very affirming. Hopefully, it was contagious for me. I think it put me in a better mood about this tournament uh, and just tennis in general. And hopefully, it will do the same for you. So here is Mike. It has been a delight during this 2017 Australian Open to be joined by the familiar face of Mike Cation, who has not been a familiar face really at Slams. Uh, you will remember him from our Challenger episode we did in fall of 2015 from Charlottesville. And Mike is the voice of the USDA Challenger men's mm-hmm. uh, USDA Pro Circuit events there. And this time, maybe your slam debut. Yeah. Long way to slam main draw debut. Yeah. Made it into the second week. Did uh, <laughs> eight days of coverage here. Fourth Just, round action. Yeah. So you, so you were working for the World Feed? Yeah. So I was hired by Tennis Australia and did the World Feed this week. How was this whole experience for you going from, I don't know if you like this, I know you say, you, you were saying, we'll get into this later, but from what looks like from the outside, from like minor leagues to major leagues, yeah. how was how was the transition for you? And how and what struck you about this world most of all? Well, ben, I'm actually sad that Courtney's not here. Yeah. Um, because Courtney was actually the one who calmed me down. And I don't know if she knows this, because we've talked maybe two or three times uh, over the years. And she just said to me, as I was going out to do my first match, Svetlana Kuznetsova, she just said, just remember, once they throw up the ball, it's just tennis. And you've done this a hundred times. You've done it a thousand times. Yeah. And I sh- like, that was it. And then it just, it's, it is, it's tennis. It's, um, I, I found myself realizing that the only thing that separates one broadcaster from another is maybe familiarity with other players. Yeah. Um, and, and just that history. You know, I, I watched Fred Stolle for a while. And he's been doing the Australian Open for 43 years, he said. And so he has this incredible wealth of knowledge, a depth of knowledge that I obviously don't have and newer broadcasters don't have. But other than that, it's just tennis. And you're just having fun and enjoying the experience. And I really have enjoyed this experience. What I what has it been like calling matches to this? Because obviously you have a certain set of players yeah. who you see rotate more <laughs> or less. And it, it does change. Some people make it out through falling up. Some people fall down out of yeah. it. But more or less you have the same sort of cadre of guys, largely Americans, yeah. who you see at your events, and other people rotate through occasionally, but you've done very few of their matches here, a couple, which we'll get to, but yeah. overall, prepping for two players you've never called before, including a lot of women's matches, which you haven't done as much mm-hmm. of, uh, how, how has that step up been for you? Uh, actually, surprisingly easy. Um, 
A, you have the ability at this point to video scout. I, I mean, I did a Venus Williams match. I mean, yeah. come on, you know Venus Williams. But I, I also, at this point, you can video scout a lot of these players. On top of that, I, I've been able to meet a lot of coaches, both on the men's and the women's side, who were able to give me scouts um, a, as well. So therefore, I come into a match at least knowing a basic style. Yeah. Um, and what certain what things are they're going to look to do within a match that are going to be successful? And if they're not doing it, then I know they're not going to be successful. So, on top of it, on this level, I'm working with a color analyst. I don't do that's that in a yeah. challenger. So I have somebody who's that's their job to make sure that they're looking for those kind of things too. But if I have that basic knowledge, then it makes me sound much more informed. It allows us to work together so that she's not also having to tell me hey, Svetlana Kuznetsova does this. And I'm yeah. like, oh, okay. Um, so it sounds like I'm informed and, and I, I feel like I am informed because I'm able to work with coaches who have kind of helped me out and given me some advanced prep. Yeah, so you normally are a soloist yeah. out there. You're out there for uh, 12 days. Right. You know, sorry, not 12 days, uh, 12 hours a day yeah. or more sometimes talking essentially to yourself kind uh-huh. of about tennis. Now you are doing more or less, you did one match a day here yeah. talking to somebody else. So your workload seems... This is a breeze. Like a, a fraction normally it's, of what you do. I, I've, yeah. I'm talking to the other broadcasters and just they're, they're, they're like, oh, I've got two matches today. And they're sitting there and they get a packet of information about the, all the players and things. And they're kind of stressed out about it and just like, okay, I've got to go do this one. I've got to go do this one. And I'm just like, you people have no idea. <laughs> um, but I think it, at the very least it prepared me. Um, and I, I don't mean this in any type of slag, I believe is the Australian term, yeah, sure. on, on any of the other people I've worked with because they're incredibly knowledgeable and have, a, again, a knowledge base that maybe I don't have. But for me, I need to prep every day. Yeah. I need to do that. And I think it gives me that maybe something that, listen, I'm, I don't have the, the playing credentials that any of these other guys right. that analysts do. I mean, I work with John Millman today. How am I going to compete with that knowledge, right? An active but, core player, yeah. Right. Yeah. But I... I prep, I work, and, and so I, I know where to go. I know what I'm looking for. And so it gives me something that maybe some of the other broadcasters don't. But working with a color analyst, um, it's so much fun. Yeah. I mean, to be able to talk to somebody and have things that you're bouncing off and you don't have to fill all the time, it was so much fun. You seem to have had a great time It's here. just unbelievable. <laughs> I mean, it's just, I said this to somebody yesterday, I hope if I'm lucky enough to do this for 25 more years or whatever, that I don't lose this awe that I have. I mean, how cool to do a Venus Williams match. My friend said to me, you should expect to be doing Venus Williams matches. But it's like, God, you know, like, how cool is this? Yeah. I mean, I don't know about you, Ben, but like yeah. you, you've been doing this. You, it was, you said your first one was Australian Open 2012. That's right. Yep. First slam. Yeah. We yeah. both made our debuts in Australia. Right. Yeah. <laughs> like, how cool is it to be able to just like cover something that you're so passionate about? Yeah, no, it's, it's 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 pretty great. No, honestly, and seeing you do this for a while, so I'm just curious, like more of the uh, uh, facilities and stuff, because obviously this yeah. is a very different venue yes. than you're normally at. This is a you know, there's 22 more or something courts yeah. here. There's uh, you know, player lounges and media restaurants and all sorts of amenities that you don't normally do. Has that been uh, easier to adapt to? Is there any sort of, I don't know, culture shock that comes with it? A, or there's a per diem, it... which is awesome. Okay. That's, <laughs> <laughs> that's great. There's wine over there if I wanted a glass of wine at the end of the night. Um, the only thing that I actually think that it's it's a problem, and I, this might sound kind of weird, but 
I think part of um, what I have to do at the challenger level is I, I, I'm up close and personal in every lounge. I'm right there with the players, and so I have relationships. Yeah. You guys don't have that ability here, the journalists at this we don't level. Get to know, we don't get to know the players the way you do. Right, no. and there is, I think there is a distrust as a result because I, you, you know, I, do you know Andy Murray? Do you, you know what I mean? Like, you've interviewed him. I know him better than a lot of players. It's, it's an okay. example to pick, but yeah. I certainly don't know well a lot of the guys who, I, who haven't, like, let's say, like, Goffin. Yeah. I know Goffin, who's a top 20 player. I know him, like, nothing at all. And so, in terms of, we've never had a personal conversation right. on anything. So, yeah, so that can be a, a different sort of thing. And you don't, and you get feedback and things. And we don't get the feedback always because, you know, you've had plenty of stories of guys coming back to you after a match and, you know, getting feedback, yes. positive or negative, on yes. what you've been saying during their match. Right. Uh, um, so so it, we don't, I, I don't get that sort of feedback loop. And when I do, it's usually only in the extreme cases when someone's really angry. Right. And so, uh, yeah. I, I See, I, I think that the ability for any journalist to interact on a personal level where it's clearly things that are off the record. Yeah. You have conversations with them about their girlfriends. Yeah. Um, you have conversations with them about their family. You get to know them and you have a better depth of knowledge of them as human beings. And as a result, I think that makes you a better broadcaster or journalist. I think that, I think that you sort of, and I hadn't thought about this way before, but I think it's definitely true. The way you're, life and day-to-day -day works on the pro circuit, I think is a bit of, is a throwback to how it used yes. to be at this level. Yes. Where it was much more social, much more collegial, things were off the record. When it wasn't 24-hour yes. news cycle, when it wasn't everything, you say one crazy thing and immediately gonna, you know, your phone's gonna blow up from angry tweets. Yes. I think that you have a much more, yeah, you're in the in the mix with them. And those are some of the, you know, the, in terms of like tennis writing, you can I look back at books like Hard Courts by John Feinstein, which is from like 1990, and it was still kind of that time. Uh -huh. Or you know, uh, short circuit with Michael Mushaw, and you just you know go up to people in the hotel lobby and start chatting, and that's not the culture anymore. No, it's not. And so yeah, there are positives and negatives to that, though. Sure. I mean, because it's hard for me at times to be critical of somebody who I like. You know, you're going to see next week and the week yes. after the week after. Yeah. And on top of it, like uh, there's been a situation for me where I know somebody's going through a breakup. Yeah, and I, I can't bring that onto the broadcast, onto the broadcast, yeah. but I also. I can say I know why they're having a bad day, why they're playing terrible that day. Yeah. I know, but I can't say that. So it's yeah. it's hard. That there's a positive, there's a negative to that, but I think overall it's a positive to have that depth of knowledge, and that's something that's missing at the higher levels. Um, I don't know if it's a positive necessarily for you and what you do, but well, I, I would certainly would like to be to feel more like the players were less guarded. I understand yeah. why they are guarded. Yeah, I understand why they they don't open themselves up to things because you know. We're sitting on the edge of the media room where there's, you know, 250 people sitting here waiting right. for a, a scoop or something yes. in theory. And so it can feel more at this level. And I try not to make it this way, but it can feel like an adversarial yes. relationship with the press. So yeah. I get that. And, and, yeah, and, you, and you're dealing with guys also who a lot of times haven't been here. Yes. But you actually, we were saying, we're making, you were jokingly referring to your people in this tournament <laughs> as your homies. Yeah. The ones who you sort of know from your world. And one, right. of, them, one of them is still in this tournament. I know. And Misha Zverev outlasting you. We're recording this on... Uh, <laughs> Monday night. Yeah. So yeah, day night. eight. So yeah, so Misha Zverev is still in it. It's awesome. And Dan Evans, it? who's also been one of your guys in yeah. the past, has made a deep run here to fourth round. So it's a, it must be pretty cool seeing guys. And, you, and you're, and you you know, watching matches and be like, oh, I know Matt Reed in that yeah. doubles match. And I know, you know, Sam Groff, whoever it might be on TV. Yeah. You know lots of guys. So it's the most important thing to me is, and I, I tweeted about it as well, just it validates the challenger level. Yeah. You think about what Dan Evans has done. Maybe, 
God, he's lost some terrible matches. I've watched him lose some terrible matches. But when he finally bought in and, and realized that those challenger matches are going to prepare him, he's going to learn how to win, learn how to play against different styles. Misha Sverev, same way when he's coming back from injury. Yeah. God, I can't tell you how validating it was yeah. to see. I mean, I got to broadcast Dan Evans matches on Hisense against Bernard Tomic. Are you kidding me? Like, that's unreal. Like, I, I, I broadcast him lose, losing in the second round, I think, in Knoxville yeah. in November. But to see him make that progression over a couple of months, just that investment that he made in himself, that's amazing. Misha Zverev, what he's done, it's amazing. And just to see their their work and how it was at the lower levels, what they did, what, you know, I got to see it at an intimate level. And now it's paying off on this huge stage. Misha Zverev came out of no, no, he didn't. Yeah. Dan Evans came out of, no, he didn't. He came out of you. He came out of, you know, <laughs> that's, like, right right that's not the right term, but, like, but you know. It just yeah. gives so much validation to what we, we are doing. And I, I, I take a lot of pride in that because I, I, I don't take any credit for any of their success. I don't want it yeah. to, you know, come across as that. But, like, I take pride in the fact that we're trying to tell their stories. Yeah. We're trying to tell Dan Evans' story. And I think we've done a pretty decent job for what the, the limited basis that we have and what we can do. But we, Bjorn Fertangelo, and lost to Noah Rubin in the first round. Both of those guys qualified. We're trying to tell their stories. And so I take pride in the fact that all of a sudden now Dan Evans is in the fourth round and Misha Sverev's in the, I mean, and That's so cool. And you didn't call that much, but like you could have. I don't know if you got to see any of like Ruben playing Federer. Yeah, just sort of like yeah, I you did. Know, one of your guys against right. Federer. So it's we, uh, we, yeah. Noah and I. Uh, we've had a really good relationship. I mean, he we text back and forth. He knows some things about my personal life. It's <laughs> I mean, it, it's been a really tough time for me personally lately. And he's the kind of guy who checks in to make sure I'm okay. And so we talked after that match, and like to hear him just. Have, I, I don't want to talk about our, uh, you know, some of the things we said, but just like, it's cool. Yeah. It's just cool to see them have those moments. And you know, I'm going to see Noah. I'm going to be broadcasting his match Tuesday or Wednesday in Maui. In Maui. Yeah. And it's to, you know, to to see him make that drop down. How does he react to that? Yeah. And that's part of the the ongoing story of these guys. And you want to, like, I don't want to broadcast them anymore, challengers. I always say that to him. I hope I don't see you again, for a long time. Yeah. <laughs> you know, but now now that I've had this experience myself. I hope I do. Yeah, I hope at, at this at this sort yeah. of thing. Yeah. So yeah. I guess, um, how what will you take from this experience back to the challengers? Yeah, that's it's a. I've been thinking about that a lot. Um, I hope a, this is going to sound kind of bad, but I hope a better sense of professionalism. Okay. Um, there are times when I'm doing a broadcast for twelve straight hours, and I lose that ability. Because it's hard. It's hard talking you're, you're to yourself for yeah. twelve for twelve hours. But I, I, I think being here made me just. I, I learned a lot from guys like Fred Stolle and Mark Petchy and Josh Eagle and and I, I mean just sitting and listening to them, and also just the understanding of what I what I bring to a broadcast. Um, I think I'll be talking. Yeah. Go ahead. I was just saying, being with somebody. It's sort of you learn what you do well and what you don't. I yeah. Guess when you see. When you're with somebody's, yeah. I think I've way. learned timing um, a little bit more. Okay. I've learned, frankly, to back off a little bit. Um, silence, you mean? Silence. Yeah. Yeah, I've, I've, I've learned timing a, a lot more. Um, I, I'm, I'm and, self-taught. And non-American uh, talks, uh, other, when I've done international broadcasts, they talk less. Yes. That's not the U.S. In yes. English. So, like, Brits and Australians both talk less. Absolutely. I, I, if you ever I'm, watch a Russian stream of something, they talk during the points they never show up. <laughs> But like in English, it's, yeah. yeah, it's very quiet. And I'm so I 
again, you, you know, you're just learning a bunch of different styles. And so I hope I, I hope I pick that up and bring something to it. I've learned some different ways to do prep and what I, what I found valuable. Um, but God, I, I hope as well that I bring this same excitement that I have here. Yeah. It's going to be hard when I'm, when I go to Maui and don't get me wrong, the people in Maui are fantastic. They treat you us to go really to Hawaii. well. It's not a bad place to ease and back I into know. this life. And Dallas the week after, Dallas is hard. It's an indoor tournament. You go 10 to 10. Yeah. Straight. You know, hours, and, and yeah. you're indoors. You don't see the, the you sun. don't see the beach. And, yeah. You know, um, I hope I'm able to continue this same level of excitement. Yeah. I don't know that I will. It's hard. Yeah. But God, it's amazing. I mean, we are so lucky to have these jobs. Yeah. Somebody, I did an interview with a, a local radio broadcaster this this week. He's he's probably 10, 15 years older than me, mm-hmm. and he said to me, and he might be listening, and I, I like. <laughs> He said to me, like, how do you how do you do it? Like, how did you get into it? How how do I get into it? And I was just like, how? I don't know. I, like, <laughs> I'm I, I'm so lucky, Ben. Like, yeah. I hope you appreciate how lucky you are yeah, to be like sure. watching the sport. No, but, the- but seeing you, seeing you have it, remind, it's, it's reminded me of my first time here, and I made. I'm sure Courtney, Courtney was there too. She'd been around just literally. I think she'd been one more slam than me. Yeah, maybe two. Um, and yeah, so she saw plenty of my early like first rookie mistakes and stuff <laughs> yeah. like that. But yeah, you 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 seeing your enthusiasm for it has been infectious, and I know conversely a lot of people have been excited to meet you. People, cause I would just introduce you a couple of the Brits, yeah. and the Brits I know you get a lot of <laughs> British players, and they yeah. and they've watched you a lot, so they were excited to put a face to the name, and hopefully that was the same way for you, yeah. Vice versa, and, just in this in this room outside of the, the players. You guys did a podcast. Who who retired? Um, Ivanovich. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you did a podcast, and you were talking a little bit about her and Courtney talking about her fan days. Yeah, you know, and and like how she made that transition, and how yeah. Ivanovich was the first one who kind of like yeah. you know like Pulled respected her. In, her. Yeah. yeah, it was yeah. just like don't ever lose those moments. Yeah. Like like yeah. to all of our journalists, I, I said this to somebody else the other day. Like journalists are so crusty. Like we're <laughs> so jaded. We are so jaded because yeah. we deal with spoiled brats a lot and things like that. But God, it's so much fun. We got to, I mean, right now as we're broadcasting this, I'm thinking about how I want to get back to my house, my apartment. I've got to pack tonight and watch the end of Nadal, Mofi. Yeah. And I'm not going to do it from courtside, but God, we're so lucky. We're so lucky. And I hope, I hope I don't ever lose that. I hope you don't either. I don't think you will. You, you seem to be in a pretty good place with that right now, and you've yeah. certainly got enough. If you ration this excitement out yeah. for the rest of your life, it, it should be good to last you yeah. till the you know decades, centuries till the grave. So you're in a good place yeah, right now. Hope to see you more. Uh, in the meantime, I should say, check in with Mike on the Challengers. Follow him at Mike C Tennis on Twitter. Please do because uh, I I, yeah. I love the interactions. I I hope I. In- I hope that comes across that I do enjoy the interactions as we go through the matches. Yeah, for sure. So. so. Enjoy that and follow him along from Maui. I'm, I'm, I've yeah. never been to Hawaii. I'm jealous. You You're should going come next year. Yeah, I should try. Uh, <laughs> thank you very much. Uh, Thanks, Ben. Yeah, it's been fun. Okay, so let's talk about just some of the breakout stories of the tournament. First, we should talk about Coco Vandeweghe. Sure. Coco Vandeweghe made to the semis through an incredibly tough draw. Yeah. Like Coco, Venus, you mentioned had an easy draw. Venus, when you look at it on paper, you're like, wow, that was easier than I even thought it was. Uh, Pavio Chekhov was a legitimate quarterfinalist, but that wasn't the toughest quarterfinalist you could get at a slam. Uh, Coco, though, has just been a lawnmower. Started with Vinci, yeah. uh, you know, got Genie in the third round, and then uh, obviously beats number one Angelique Kerber, and then today beats uh, Garbina Muguruza, two reigning Grand Slam champions for Coco, who, you know, started her season at Hopman Cup, you know, lost to Duan Ying Ying uh, in Sydney. In Sydney. You know, yeah, really badly. And so there was a lot of question marks as to how she 
was going to, you know, kind of come up here. Really, nobody was was talking about her much, even with the absence of both Madison Keys and Sloan Stevens. I mean, she was the third That's third right, on yeah. deck, you know, um, of the Americans. And people, hadn't thought of it that way. Yeah. yeah, people weren't really, you know, too 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 keyed in on her. And then, um, you know, in the match against Vinci was super weird. She ended up throwing up and just going through like right. all of this emotional drama I forgot and about there probably being like hunched over in the back of the yeah, court yeah and I totally Vin- forgot about that and it that. definitely like threw off Vinci and Vinci had some things to say about it she didn't like it very much um, but Coco was like wow. what am I supposed to do I mean it feels like a lifetime ago. I know. that was day one I know sorry <laughs> I know that was day one so you know a lot of, a lot has happened and it's been a it's been an absolutely breakout tournament for Coco just tennis wise I mean the tennis has been remarkable I think that her win over Jeannie Bouchard you know coming down from a breakdown in that final set and you know kind of mastering her uh of i don't know her hot-headedness i suppose is the way to say it because she dropped that second set pretty quickly after to bouchard and was you know cracking rackets and screaming at herself and just thoroughly uh frustrated after falling i believe down love two and then being behind a break the whole time but got it back together and was able to come back and nip it nip uh, bouchard at the finish line which was like a really i thought impressive win um, and then from there, I mean, the wins over both Kerber and Muguruza, so the score lines were very lopsided. The result, I think, given the way that, that Coco had been playing and what seemed to be unlocked within her with that win over Bouchard, were uh, were not really surprising. I, I saw the Kerber one coming from a mile away. Yeah. I like, I really thought that whoever, because I just wasn't impressed with Kerber's first three matches yeah. in the tournament, especially the first two. And I really, and I guess also kind of the Brisbane and Sydney, but more Sydney, um, I really thought whoever won that Bouchard, Van, I think we were all talking this way, whoever yeah, yeah. won that bouchard Vandoy match was going to beat Kerber, was going to get this sort of star turn p- possibility from beating a vulnerable Again, which is what one. made Coco versus Genie actually a really very compelling, compelling match oh, it was, because it was like, it might have been my it was probably my second favorite women's match. Oh, it was a fantastic Tenko, match, a, fantastic match. Yeah. So yeah, that yeah. was so that those stakes were there. I thought that it was, I thought that she'd come back down to earth against Muguruza. and it just did not happen whatsoever. Um, I thought Muguruza does what Coco does better in terms of first strike. Stuff like that, but Coco, just she's such a good athlete. You see, you know, all that coming through. She is, I think she is. I mean, she has a really good serve. She has a very, right now, her strokes are very cleaned up. Her movement's gotten so much better because she used to be this sort of, you know, untethered cannon who could occasionally find the right places, but would be her footwork all was over the very, place. very sloppy yeah. um, for a long, long time. And, you know, just in making those small adjustments and, and kind of very heavy footed. You know, and, and Muguruza had this problem as well before she finally yeah. figured things out under Sumik in terms of the footwork around the ball. Um, and they would tend to spray. And uh, and G- uh, Coco seems to have, like, figured something out. I was surprised to not realize, and I knew it somewhere before in the back of my mind, but surprised to re-remember that Coco had been a junior U.S. Open champion. Mm, yeah. Because I just think that her game just looked so, had, early in her pro career, looked so raw and, like, just sort of, like, the potential was there, but it was all... None of the ingredients were put together. It was a box of IKEA separates, and maybe there were instructions, and maybe Craig Carden wrote them himself. And good for him on that. And Coco, to her credit, has always had, or you know, actually not to her credit, you be the judge. Coco has always mentally thought she belonged to this level. She always has been incredibly confident in a way that did not line up with her results in a lot of ways. Walked around like she owned the place on court, and even against you know Sharapova in the Wimbledon quarterfinal, when she should be mm. a complete unknown on center court and just sort of be daunted. She goes in there, she plays your heart out, thinks, feels crushed not to win, and then, you know, sort of shades Maria about moving during the server or something afterwards. And just sort of the the audacity and the chutzpah of doing these things is very Coco. Coco is 
unapologetic and a big personality and is a, is a disruptive presence. And other, other players have strong opinions about that in the WTA locker room. It's a different sort of perspective. It's a very sort of, I mean, I wrote a story about, I wrote a profile for her for uh, one year before the U.S. Open and, and I think the headline, it was timely at the time, it was like calling her like the Ronda Rousey of tennis or something. <laughs> and she, you know, I, I sort of think that still works. And if she's channeled it now, I don't think she's humble now by any stretch, but I think that she's backing it up. But just she has so much confidence, even though her results, I mean, she, but, before this tournament, she lost seven of her last ten matches. Yeah. But yet she came in here saying she thinks she's going to win every match she steps onto the well, court Well, it's for. her whole, you know, fake it till you make it yeah. sort of situation yeah. where she feels like if you if you act it, that, that you can kind of convince yourself and convince your opponent that you no. belong as well. I mean, there, there are, again, this goes back to that third round match between Bouchard and, and Vandaway. There are parallels if, if oh, you sure. really step back in terms of, you know, when I look back at Jeannie's run to the Wimbledon final um, and compare that a little bit to kind of what I'm seeing from Coco, obviously very different game styles aesthetically, but Jeannie just stood on the line and she didn't ever take a step back and she marched through that draw, which was a lot softer than Coco's. Let's let's be clear about that. Coco can't take anything away from her run to the semifinals at all. It's been incredibly impressive, but so much of it has been about the presence. I mean, even, you know, Muguruza today looked a bit deer in the headlights. You yeah. know, there and were she moments said afterwards, where she was like, I couldn't do anything. Yeah, there's nothing she could have done. And even a, a Kerber, again, it was a short match and it was a, a lopsided scoreline. And you would expect a good Kerber to be able to figure that match out. But on this day, I mean, like Coco just bulldozed her. Um, and, you know, that kind of one way traffic, I've, I haven't seen that from a player, you know, outside of like a Serena recently yeah. than during that run to the final by Jeannie uh, at Wimbledon a couple years you, ago. Yeah, I, I think I think that Jeannie versus Coco match was very yin and yin in terms of like <laughs> similar per, similar type uh, sure. alphas yeah, who, on alphas. court and them taking... In very to, different ways. In very different ways, exactly. In very, in very different very, ways. Very, very, I, I, different, very different They're energies. not clones in terms yeah, of like no, their energies. I think not. Jeannie's a little bit... Um, yeah. Keeps it a little bit tighter yeah. to herself. I think Coco's a bit more. She's. I don't think actually Coco's an extrovert, but it's all. It's. it's she acts like one. I mean, I think yeah, I, she I can so. kind of sort of rile things up and sort of stares. And I know a lot of people took her were uh, rubbed the wrong way, but her shrugging after she beat Kirby, you did a great impression of it just there. Oh, you're welcome. Um, for those of you watching us on NCR Live, it which is just Elmo. not a thing. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> an Elmo. You shrug. say I pulled a Coco. I say I pulled an Elmo. That's good. That's okay. So yeah. So I mean, Coco is in there, and she gets. Uh, Venus Williams in the semi. I don't really know how to pick that one necessarily. I, I like Coco's chances in that match. Honestly, yeah. if, if Coco doesn't cool off, if Coco plays like she played the last two matches, she'll win. I say that confidently. I don't know that she will. But if she does sustain that somehow, she should be able to beat this Venus, who's been good. And Venus has been a great story. We talked about just offline, or you tweeted, and everyone has been saying it kind of agreeing, one of the coolest things about this tournament, big picture catch-all narrative, is the aging of tennis. Yeah. And you see these really fully formed human beings in Venus and Serena. People don't mention Serena's name, even though she's only one year younger than Venus, yeah. which makes her the second oldest person in like every tournament. <laughs> yeah. uh, Venus, Serena, Lucic, Federer, Nadal's 30 now. I mean, Vavrinka's 31 or 32. Um, they're getting older. I think Songa's maybe 30 also. So it's just an older crew of guys and girls, and it just seems healthier. Yeah. Is that fair? Well, I mean, I think that the, the, the aging of tennis is the best thing to happen to tennis because when you have these great stars, why would you want to say goodbye to them at 28 exactly. years old? 
you want to say goodbye to them when they're 38, maybe 39, but like the longer that they're in the game, the better and the more relevant that they are, the more compelling their storylines are. I just love it, a literary device you saying that and then Andy Roddick comes here to do his press yeah. conference today yeah. for his Hall of Fame induction. And I only overlapped on tour with Andy for uh, about a year and a half. Yeah, because 2012. He, yeah. Right, because so he retired in 2012 and I've been on tour uh, about off and on. But you 2011. Yeah. yeah. And so I just felt like I was sad that I didn't get to get more of him because he is in the press room just a treat. And that's where I was thinking there's nobody who compares to what he does in the press room. I was thinking about that too, watching his press conference about, you know, one of the things that I was telling one of the reporters who was asking me about Coco. And I was like, well, the one thing about Coco that's great is that, like, she um, she has opinions. They're very strong opinions. And if you ask her, she will give them to you. So she was always kind of, at least within the WTA, even, you know, before this week, kind of like a good voice box. Like, if you needed a, a quote. Yeah, she was a good quote. If you need a line on something, if you're working kind of on a more topical story, like, do people like best of five best, you know, whatever it is. Like, you could go to Coco and you can rely and get a quote. On the men's side, outside of the big four who are very contained in what they say on, you know, in their press conferences anyway, who is that voice box? And it used to be Roddick. Yeah. I mean, you used to be able to go to a Roddick, and maybe because we're Americans too, but you used to be able to go to a Roddick or, or a Fish uh, and kind of like more get... Roddick. More I mean, Roddick. Like, more Roddick. But like uh, Roddick was just a, his own beast. And yeah, it's... I'm, it's, just, I'm just imagining it as like bummer. if it was like a reality show. With confessionals, and they're all, and one person, one contestant, always becomes sort of the narrator of the season, and like they're the voice. Roddick was the voice. Roddick was the one who's like the consistent sort of Jim Halpert. Not that he's anything like Jim Halpert personality-wise, but sort of your eyes into this world, and you see everything through his lens. And he just had a he was Halpert because he was the one that was rolling his eyes, and he was the one kind of in his own passive-aggressive or aggressive way calling things out. And he was the one who, because of that, because you you felt like. He kind of, not to be weirdly American, but like kind of just like said how it was and, you know, everything that when he then rubber stamped something like his pure admiration and love for Roger Federer made me like not dislike Roger as much as I did when maybe when I was a fan. Because I was like, all right, fine. Well, if the guy that like keeps getting his ass handed to him by you says, you know, he's a really good guy and Andy is not the type of guy who would... Blow sunshine up your ass. Yeah, exactly. I'm like, all right, then he's a good guy. Like there's no way around it. You know what I mean? Um, And obviously, you know, so um, yeah, he's... I overlapped the same as Ben with Roddick, which is to say very little because at the time also there was a lot of injuries and he wasn't always on tour. And and I was still getting into the sport and in terms of like writing and stuff. I would see him every year in Washington for a couple of years before that. So that's where I feel like I got a little. Yeah, bonus, I was still erotic. covering primarily yeah. WTA events and then yeah. would you know do joint events and stuff. But um, but I also came with like a bit of baggage with respect to Roddick because like I just didn't like him. He like, was a dick to a, line judges. And yeah, stuff like I just that. didn't yeah. like him as a player, and so making that transition, I was like, oh. And so they would be like Andy Roddick's impressed. I was like, well, I'm not going to go to that. And then now, like you see, I'm like, I missed so many opportunities just to pick that guy's brain, you know. Yeah. Um, Hopefully, future just, NCR guests, I'll say. Yeah, no, he's 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 good, and and I I really hope ESPN puts a mic on that guy because he he needs to be commentating tennis. It's it's really strange. I was going to ask, not in that it wasn't the conversation, not the setting to do it, but just sort of like. Why aren't you in the list? Uh, we'll maybe ask him on NCR. We'll see if we can get him on. He's been on my wish list for a long time, Andy. So, uh, yeah, so Kim Kleister's also gotten a Hall of Fame yeah. to wrap that up. And Steve Flink, our buddy and past NCR Flinko. guest. I think our first person to go from NCR guest to Hall of Fame. Yeah, so good Flinko. for us. So that's pretty pretty great. Congratulations to him as well. Uh, yeah, so 
overall, uh, other thoughts on this tournament before we just sort of get, I feel like rant rave must happen again, right? We must have feelings <laughs> about things after eight, nine days in Yeah, in I mean, I, I just think that the next, you know, five days are going to be very interesting. And and I think and that's what Climactic. you want. Yeah, Climactic. they're gonna. It's got to lead to something, right? It can't. This isn't gonna end flat. I don't. I don't see a way that it ends flat. The only way to my flat ending for the men, I have one for sure, is a Vavrinka beating Ronich final. Fair and, and that'd be garbage. Fair enough. Fair enough. Um, yeah, I mean, like you know, you have an opportunity for some first time winners. You know, whether it's it's a, you know, I mean, if you're gonna handicap it, Pliskova Conta. And uh, I guess Coco, you'd put on that list, yep. or you know, you have an opportunity for like a Williams final with Serena possibly having to win, beat her sister to win number twenty three, which ugh. or Venus stopping Serena or is Venus days. stopping her. Um, you know, all of that. I mean, and then obviously on the men's side, where there's just a, a flurry of of really really interesting stories. I'm keeping my eye out on Dimitrov. I think that. Um, He's my pick to make the final. Still. Yeah, the, the, I just I like that, but again, it's it's about the permutations and and you just yeah, kind of it just feels like Stan. It just feels like Stan. <laughs> it just feels like Stan. Yeah, so, it feels like Stan. I mean, it's not that Stan's a bad. Stan, no, it's not bad. It's, it's, it funny, it's funny. It's funny. It's funny because Stan has been the breath of fresh air candidate, <laughs> yeah, and no. suddenly now he's stale, old, boring Stan. <laughs> it's this amazing about face that he's doing. Stan um, the brand. Stan the. <laughs> That's great. Uh, so with that, thank you guys for listening to this episode of No Challenges Remaining. Follow along with us when you're not listening uh, on Facebook, facebook.com slash Podcast, the new and improved Facebook page. Trying to do it, Bill more. We have great interactions, great comments. Keep it up. We'll do a, few, a couple more Facebook uh, content things. Use a gross internet word in content. And yeah, uh, follow us on Twitter also and at NCR underscore tennis. We're also individually on Twitter. I'm at Ben Rothenberg. Courtney is at 40 Deuce Twits and at WTA underscore insider uh yes it sent us questions emails things we can probably get to in february most likely because we'll have a, a couple slower weeks although february is a closet busy month in it tennis is. so send us questions feedback comments all the same no challenge remaining at gmail.com subscribe on itunes to our feeds and other such things like that i guessing courtney that you have Feelings and thoughts and emo- emotions of an Alize Cornet degree of extremity or not about this tournament. I mean, you're sitting in a place, you know, you're feeling sick. I'm sure there are feelings. Yeah, I mean, I was sick, and that's all my. That was my fault. I fell asleep with the air conditioning on and woke up, and I was just like a, com- a complete wreck. So I've heard people say that actually. Really, that never bugs me. I know, but yeah. you've grown up with air conditioning. Yeah. I always have to explain this to people. I do not have it. We, I've never grown. I've yeah. never lived in a house that had air conditioning. Yeah. Um, and so, uh, must you know, be nice. Yeah, when it's hot, it's. I mean, it yeah. doesn't mean that it doesn't get hot where I live. But when it's hot, it's hot. You yeah. just freaking deal with it. And yeah. Um, so yeah, I. It, the minute that I woke up and realized that that had happened, um, that was bad news. So, um, yeah, being sick has not been great. But did I do a rave on noise-canceling headphones yet? Can I do one, too? Let's both do that. Okay, let's do that. Oh, my gosh, you guys. Okay. So, in the off-season, I, dis- I decided to splurge because I was depressed about the election. Um, oh, also, rave. Oh, Punch was, a freaking we Nazi. I thought we were okay. – <laughs> Okay, I'm but sorry, we'll, but like we'll go. We'll, let's stick with that first. <laughs> We're gonna hit a couple boxes here and a couple Nazis. But yeah, Courtney, <laughs> Courtney's really into these Nazi punching videos, <laughs> like the remixes. I watch them. I'm not like okay. 
I don't. I'm not advocating punching more Nazis, but I'm I'm fine with with enjoying the Nazi who's already been punched. Let's put it that <laughs> the way. The retroactive okay? enjoyment. This one, this, this thing has happened. happened. You can't it's change in the world. it. If you want to feel good or bad about it, that's fine. That's fair. That's okay. I'm not advocating violence. If they catch the person that did it, they should arrest him for assault and battery. Sidebar. I will put up money to get him out of out of jail and 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 put up his bail. I yeah. sidebar Nazi rant on the music thing. There's one with uh, set to the tune of Aaron Carter to Tyler Beat Shack, and they like use the wrong yeah, part did. of the song because there's a song that goes boom, and they don't use the boom. Yeah, they use some other like they say they say hit it, which is a little literal. Yeah, the boom would have been better. So up your game, Nazi remixers. Well, I mean, let's be honest. I think that it, the Nazi remixes have peaked with, um, and the video that we're talking about is Richard Spencer, uh, neo Nazi. Uh, Nazi, whatever you want to call him. I'm just calling him a Nazi. Uh, getting punched on Inauguration Day by a, a hooded assailant. As he explained his love of Pepe the Frog. Exactly, as he was explaining on an on-camera interview, Pepe, the um, racist frog meme. Um, but um, uh, a few, if you, if you just want to dabble, one... There's <laughs> the, the song from Bodyguard by Whitney Houston, I Will Always Love You, is the best one. It is tremendous. It's on Facebook. It is so perfectly done. And if you watch it, you'll understand why. Um, Also, a tremendous Call Me Maybe uh, Any song that has just sort of that that sort of like, that one like, boom. Yeah, but it can't be literal because I watched the one with song two, the Blur song. Woo-hoo. And it was just like, yeah, okay. Like, you know, it just felt like a bit UFC. And I didn't like that. I want the, there's a great Evanescence one. Um, There's a great evidence of everything. Yeah, that I've there really in this is. Life. There is, but um, but yeah. So I'm. I think I've made my position on the the, the Nazi punching debate clear on Twitter. Um, but noise canceling headphones. So off season, decided to splurge. So bought not just one, but two, but specifically one set of noise canceling headphones, which are the Bose like um, the Bose ones. And uh, and yeah, they've been tremendous, an absolute lifesaver for the long haul trip that was here which was massive, um, and they're so, the Bose ones are so powerful that if I wear them in the press room, I actually have missed press conference announcements, um, which is not great. So I try not to wear them in the press room if I don't have to. Um, but yeah, so I have the same one. I, have, I have the same exact, I have Bose. Well, I have the buds. You have the, the over-ears. Right. I have the over-ears, and may, I don't know if they're as powerful or not in terms of, maybe mm-hmm. not. I, I still, I think I'm also sitting right under a speaker so I can hear press mm-hmm. conference announcements when I have them on. They're great. I think I forgot mine are wireless, and I can't. I used to know, but can't again get it to connect to my laptop, which is a little annoying. So I used to wire for a laptop. I feel like I feel like such a peasant using this wire to connect to my computer laptop. Wireless headphones. This is not the luxury I got. You know, I paid for so, or I got as a Christmas gift. So, (laughs) so yeah. So they've been great. They've for flying. It's unbelievable. I mean, I had a hellish flight down under. I had a middle seat on the way from San Francisco to New Zealand, and it was terrible and awful. But it was really quiet, so that was cool. And, yeah, I recommend them. If you're a frequent flyer, you've never tried them, try it. You'll be like, how did I even live? It's like it's like those videos of a parent of deaf kids hearing their parents for the first time, except the opposite. It, but <laughs> deaf it, kids get their, uh, hearing kids get their parents to shut up or something. Well, no, it's, it's crazy because when you have them on and you're on, on the plane for long enough, and then there's a moment where, might, I don't know, maybe I turn them off or I pop one out. All of a sudden, I'm like, why is this airplane so loud? Like, is it really loud in here now? Yeah, like, but it, there's no yeah. noise. It's just like the engine. Yeah. And so like this noise that I never thought was that big of a noise deal. Yeah. yeah, but I never thought it was that Me big neither. of a deal. I never really complained about it when I was flying. Now I'm just like, oh, my Lord. Like, it's loud. You know, 
like turn your headphones up all the way at volume, which yeah, you used yeah. to, I used to have to do yeah, on yeah, airplanes, yeah. turn to max out. volume, yeah. which is not it's good not for good your for ears, ears yeah. not at all. So, yeah. So, save your ears, get some noise-canceling headphones. Listen to us on them. We are available on noise-canceling headphones, and that's cool. And any other headphones you might have, and speakers, and surround sound, and uh, AM, FM radios. I don't know. Anyway, with that, do you have anything else? We that's good? it. We're, We're good. good. Uh, enjoy the rest of the tennis, guys. We'll talk to you soon. Bye-bye. And it Bye-bye. goes, and it goes, and it goes a little something like this. Get it!